Great to see everybody on a Friday. And uh, again, thank you guys for being so gracious. Um, as I am finishing my school as well, um, I don't have class tonight. I'm very happy about that. It's every other Friday. Um, I'm in quantitative research, which is statistics. It's brutal. Uh, um, can you feel me right now? Can you feel it? So, um, but I have class next Friday night, so it's always looming out, out there. But I, like today, I have to sneak this afternoon over to Milwaukee to meet with some great pastors, leaders, some don donors, and just spread the word. Uh, last week, and I was speaking in Wichita, Kansas, and I can't tell you the amount of people that walk up to me that said, man, we hear great things are going on at North Central University. So I really do believe uh, there is um, just a great story that um, you are catalyzing as students. I mean, uh, I, I leaned over, told one of my good friends, I said, the most passionate Christians, and I say this tongue in cheek, but I kind of mean it too, uh, the best Christians, the most passionate Christians at this university are the students. Um, not that the faculty and, and staff and administrators, we love the Lord. We really love the Lord. But I got to tell you, it is so um, different to be in an atmosphere where everything spiritually is driven by the passion of the students, not the older, older people. I got it. Oh, I can make it down there. Yeah, here we go. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, exciting stuff. Okay, we don't have a long time this morning. We got lots of scriptures to cover. I want to talk about humility, and I want to give you a brand new concept. Um, if we could put that picture up there of the tree, um, those two trees side by side. So in order for a tree to survive, to flourish, to endure, it requires roots and it requires rings. Roots and rings. Without roots and rings, you cannot have branches or leaves, shade, fruit, or whatever purpose that tree provides. Sometimes it's just beauty, which is okay. The purpose of that tree is to make things beautiful or to bring shade uh, to this person. But without roots and rings, in, the roots kind of represent that endless deep dive into the limitless earth and soil. So there's a part of your life that is ever learning, it's limitless, you will never exhaust the depth of what you're exploring. I liken that to the, the nature of God. Um, we are pursuing who he is. Um, and there is always revelation happening at every level of life, even toward the end of our lives. We'll be experiencing things that have always been true about God, but they're becoming new to us. Uh, because we have a thirst to learn, to know, and he is revealing. So our roots have got to go deep. If you don't have deep roots, obviously the wind comes and you topple. So God is deepening your root system, something that only he sees, that no human being observes nor admires the root system of a tree. They simply admire its stability, the seen, the known, the visible. But it's because there is this other thing going on down here. And so if that other thing going on down here, the invisible part, is not happening in my life or your life, trust me, you're going to end up on your side one day, just the right amount of wind hitting you the right way, it's going to take you down. But when you have deep roots, man, you can bend, you can withstand, you can even lose some branches along the way. But the tree stands because of the root system. 
The second thing that makes a tree endure is the rings, is the ring system. Now, you know that a tree uh, develops a ring. Um, most uh, people that give us deep scholarly insight into trees tell us that that ring represents a year of growth. So you got the bark, you got the wood, but if you analyze the wood, there's a ring. So every year there's also this growth that is visible that's happening very systematically year by year. You notice that the spacing between the rings is pretty much consistent. And so there's got to be a consistency to your growth every year that you serve the Lord. So you're developing your rings and you're developing your roots. I would liken um, the rings to character. There is a broadening of your influence. There's a beauty to your life. You're producing longer limbs and better leaves and more fruit. Each passing year as you grow your character. So the part of you that we see is developing systematically. This is all part of you're going to develop four years here. You're going to develop four new rings. And your roots are going to go deeper. And if you keep developing your character and you keep deepening in the secret place, your relationship with God, exploring his limitless nature, your root system and your rings will work together to create this magnificent life that God has for you. But if you do not focus on deepening the roots, your time alone, the unseen, everything that's invisible about your relationship with Christ as a Christian, the part that nobody sees, the part that goes on in the secret place, we use that term all the time, the roots. And if you don't commit to developing character, Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Spirit, then these rings, okay, they'll, they'll stop developing. Your tree will stunt its growth. Going deep, going broad. Going deep, growing broad. Roots and rings. Now, the other key thing is at some point, this has to become real to you. It's real to me. You affirm it's real to me or somebody that you hear teach the principles of the kingdom and you go, man, I, I resonate with that. I love that. Amen. I feel good about what you're saying. I don't disagree. But until you own it, You'll never fight for it, okay? You'll be in a setting and you'll agree with it, but you won't fight for it until you taste it and it becomes real to you. When our kids were little, we used to go every year on free coupons to Africa, uh, Marine World Africa USA, which was a theme park in Vallejo, California. It's called Marine World Africa USA. It was like a big kind of a zoo Disneyland. They could never get their identity right. They kind of went both. Is this a zoo or is this Disneyland? And it never really made it because they couldn't figure out what they were. Um, but there were animals walking around and there were rides and all that. And we had four little kids and we would all pile in the van. And our kids were like 10 and 7 and 5 and, and 3. Just total uh, chaos. I mean, the, the, the car was always trashed. You know, when you buy a new car, the first thing a stupid parent does is tell the kids, okay, we just got a new car. This car, there'll be no eating in this car. And you yell at your kids, no eating, this car, we're going to keep this car clean, it smells new, no eating. Because the previous car, the reason you sold your car, is you had about a 400,000 little goldfish crushed you know, in your car from our car one time, seriously, there was a smell in our car, we found a banana up underneath the springs, half eaten, it had grown hair like a troll, it had like a three inches of green hair like it was a troll. 
Not, not like mold, it had hair. So we got the new car and we're gonna have new car smell. And we're not eating this car until one day I got hungry, you know, and I was running late. And so, but I could control the crumbs. But so the kids, it was that time of life. It was just craziness. So our third born, Kramer, who gets married in, in, in about two and a half weeks, he was probably three and a half. And he wanted to go see the elephants, elf, elephants, elephants, elephants. They were like elephant. He was missing a syllable in there. Elephant, elephant. And so we said, we're going to see the elephants. We get around the car, elephant, elephant, elephant. We're going to see the elephants. So there was this little, like these little shows that were going on. And there was this one show that we went to. And it, you could, it, had, it was like in the round. It had a little pin there with a little, like a two foot high cement wall. It was circular. The elephant, I guess, would come through the gate and come into this area and just run around. The seating was literally this far away from the little stem wall, you could walk in front of it, and then that's where the performance was. So you're sitting like right here, and you really didn't understand the, the sheer danger you were in until the elephant came out, because they brought the elephant out. We're all excited, the kids are going crazy. We're there like on a Tuesday, because it's free coupon day, and so there's nobody there on a Tuesday. But, so we're going right on all the, the three rides that were there, and, and seeing the animals, and so we're there. And all of a sudden, the African elephant comes out. He's going to do the elephant show. And the elephant show basically consisted of the, the most massive elephant I've ever seen in my life, by the way. I've been to Africa. Uh, I've been chased by an elephant at Kruger Park. Uh, and I, I've been there. But this elephant was monstrous. I mean, he just kept looking up and up. And this big elephant comes in, the, in there. And his, basically, his job was to just do this. Boom, boom, boom. With every step, though, you, you felt the concrete moving. And this elephant is going like, like this. And it's like, we're right here. And the elephant's like, his ears are out there like a, and that's what they trained him to do. And this thing would come around, you go, Father in heaven. And if I didn't have iPhones back then, but I would have Googled, has an elephant ever tripped? Because <laughs> I has this thing ever tripped? Because if it trips, we're dead instantly. There would be no escape. It was humongous. And he's just speeding up, and he was like showing off and going, like, wow. So then at the big conclusion, they brought all the little kids down. And the little trainer had little cookies. And you fed the elephant. So you had like 30 little kids lined up along the wall. And they're going to do this. And elephant's going to come down and go, take the cookie out of their hand and eat the cookie. Pretty cool. All of our four kids are down there, three kids, because Spencer was pretty little. So they're there. And we're watching kind of the line up here. And so Tyler was up there, Jocelyn, and Kramer was kind of toward the back. So we're watching this go down the row, and we're seeing this, and this elephant would come to this little tiny child and go, and the little kids, three, would go like this. The elephant would take it out of the hand and eat the cookie. And we're like, oh, you know, photo ops, all this stuff. Back then you had <laughs> camcorders that were, sat on your shoulder. And so that was how we videoed all this. So these parents are like this, you know. Like, where's the editing truck or something? This is ridiculous. So this is going on. 
And all of a sudden, we were so focused on this spectacle. My goodness gracious, look at this. This whoa. Parents are all excited. Like, oh, let it go. That we look down toward the end, and I see Kramer with his elephant cookie doing this. <laughs> He's eating it. Now, if you knew Kramer, this would make sense. This would like... <laughs> This has lived itself out into his adult life at 28. Like, no, yeah, I can see how that happened. He's eating the cookie. And of course, we think it's poison. We go, oh, sir, don't eat the cookie. Oh, my God, I think he's going to drop. He said, well, it's, it's made of who knows what's in, like a dog. I said, yeah, we think we've, we've never had a kid eat it. And I said, he ate the cookie. I said, I don't eat the cookie. So he's like, he's like resisting me looking, looking at me because he tasted it and he loved it. Now he's got to give it away. True story. So now the elephant's coming down, and I'm, I'm like, Kramer, when the elephant comes, give him the cookie. So the elephant gets to Kramer. Here's the big moment. All these people look in the elephant. His trunk comes down like this, opens up. It's huge. It's just massive. This open black hole is coming, and you're supposed to get the cookie near it, and it just clamps and takes it. Shoot the picture so he, he lifts it up, give it to the elephant, Kramer, lift it up. He lifts it up, the elephant comes down, the elephant puts his trunk around the cookie, Kramer's three, and he's going, I love this cookie, I don't want to give the cookie away, true story. So all of a sudden, the elephant pulls up, he doesn't let go. He pulls it back. Elephant pulls it up. This starts happening with a 10 ton, I don't know what this thing weighs, the people are screaming, let it go, let it go, let it go. I said, son, let the cookie go, let the cookie go. Because the elephant's just going to just open its mouth and eat the kid. And the cookie, this is what we're assuming is about to happen. Let it go, son. And he won't let it go. He's looking at us. He wants that thing. Finally, we scream. We re he released it. He was mad. He cries. And walks away, no concept, he was taking on a 10 ton elephant, or however much it weighs, I don't know, it weighed a lot. I will never forget the scene, because it told me that even in that state of existence, once you taste something for yourself, and like, I'm gonna fight for this, because I've tasted it, so what happens in Christianity is we tell you what tastes good. We tell you that, hey, I, I've been eating this my whole life. This will be good for you. Taste it. Eat it. And you go, wow, you've been telling us your eating stories. That's a great story of what you have tasted. But I have found until this moves from mama and papas and grandpas and youth pastor and pastors and evangelists and whoever else you've seen on YouTube, their experience, until you taste it and you will fight for it, even in the presence of all these other people, the presence of this, like, no, this Christianity, this relationship with the Holy Spirit, what I have tasted is good to me. And until it becomes that, then you're going to be kind of looking from the outside. You're going to be inspired by other people's faith, other people's experience. Their story will inspire you, and rightfully it should. It encourages us. But for you to fight for your faith and fight 
for the kingdom and fight for who we are called to be in these last days. It will never happen until you taste it. And once you do taste it, nobody can take it away from you. You could have 10 of your friends, our valedictorian, I think I told this before, my college, our valedictorian of our Bible college became an avowed atheist. He spoke at our graduation. He was a great preacher. He actually was from Nigeria, had been U.S. born, was a world-class communicator at 18 or 19 or 20, and straight A, hermeneutics, all of it, just killed it. We find out when he hits 25 or 26, he got around somebody that started pouring foolishness into his head. Something about the environment didn't solidify. Something about Jesus he never tasted. Something about the defending of the faith and the call to these last days to be who God has called us to be. That never translated to his own taste. And he got it easily taken from him. And then he became this huge advocate, a hater of Christians, a hater of the college, a hater of everything. He was a broken and bitter human being. He never recovered from that. I don't know if he's even still alive today, but even after 20 years, he had completely shipwrecked his faith. And so he sat in classes. He sat in the chapel. From the 10 feet away, he looked like he looked the part from 10 feet away. But there was still something missing about the taste and see that the Lord is good was missing from his life. Um, I'm going to kind of break this into two things because we, we got way more than we can do in the next um, little bit. But I want to give you several verses. I want to talk to you real quickly about humility. You know, this has been a... I, I can't even believe the world that we have handed you um, at this stage of life to navigate with uh, media, social media, the way that information is delivered filtered, unfiltered. What you have to figure out at this stage of life, what is true, what is not true, who to trust, who don't to trust, who can't I trust. I'm just telling you, everybody in this room that's older like me, we never ever had the world that has been handed to you at this stage of your life. And quite frankly, um, you, you, you are remarkable uh, that our school is this vibrant and dynamic so many people interested. People are talking, we're getting all kinds of stuff about people wanting to transfer and because they've heard about you, not about me, about you. And these are crazy times. We've all said that our whole life, but this truly is the craziest time of my life. I didn't grow up in the 60s. I was a little kid. I was born in 62, so I wasn't there when Dr. King was shot. I mean, I was only six years old when Dr. King was shot. I was only six years old when Robert F. Kennedy was shot, John Kennedy's brother, who was running for president. Um, I was a little kid, you know, watching, you know, you know, the Green Hornet or whatever we were watching when we were six years old. And so it was off my radar screen. I had to read about it. Um, um, but I would say, even though I'm not a kid from the 60s, this in my life, I've never seen what we're seeing globally, and I've never seen just the confusion. Like, who's the Christian? You know, people who hate each other think their person is the answer to prayer. Two Christians who, 
who are side by side, have all these political attachments, thinking that their position is the answer to prayer, and they hate each other. And I just think the devil sits back and is like, ah, laughing his um, mortally wounded head off, his bruised head off, um, looking at us, and, but I, yet I think out of this confusion, trying to figure out what is justice, what is social justice, what is this, what is that, where's legitimacy with this, is the enemy using this? How does the enemy reinvent oppression? How does the enemy reinvent victimization? How is he perpetuating this? What's the devil's role in all of this chaos? And I think people who are bitter enemies are gonna die one day and find out they were on the same team. Not working for the Lord. But we're all part of the confusion of our day as the enemy thought, yeah, you thought that was the answer to prayer. You thought that was the answer to prayer. You thought they were the Antichrist. They thought that was the Antichrist. We all go to church, and we're left in this chaos that we have fed you, teenagers and young adults, to figure this out. Out of this, though, out of this rises probably the most prolific and committed and dedicated generation of leaders that our generation or our world will have ever seen. And I mean that with all my heart. I don't believe that you are um, um, sentenced to some kind of mediocrity because of the confusion of our day that we live in. I believe that you are anointed and assigned. You know, I'm 55, I'm not 18 years old. I, you know, if I ever wanted to be born, you don't even know the show, but Bonanza was like one of my favorite shows. Like, I, like, I wish I was like born during Bonanza or Waltons or something like that. I don't know. God had me born and raised at this stage of my life, but I'm 55. I'm looking at 18 and 19 and 20 year olds that by the time, should the Lord tarry, you reach my stage, you will have seen things that we only read about or thought about or didn't even think about in our lifetime. Out of it, though, is going to come prolific men and women who are finding biblical doctrinal stability and not being pulled into politics. Jesus said, beware the leaven of Herod. He said that for a reason. Beware that the kingdom and politics are entirely different domains. And I believe that God has called us to be citizens. He's called us to be salt, but he's not called us. He could call you into politics, but he's not called us to affect the world by being political. Vast difference. I love the prayer meetings going on. I love hearing reports of people being filled with the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit meetings in dorm rooms. What God is doing is just a tremendous, tremendous thing. Um, I do want to say this, because I want to get to prayer, is the key to every virtue in our life is humility. Now, humility is probably the most overused term in our world as Christians. We kind of equate it with other virtues, patience, kindness, humility. Humility is the root of all other virtues. Can you put the slide up there, Chris? how to practice humility. 
How to practice humility. We know Proverbs 22, 4 says, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. God gives a special release over the life and through the life of somebody that's humble. Well, what does it even mean to be humble in this society? I want to give you very quickly some ways to define humility. And as we go to prayer, asking God to help us practice humility. What is the practice of humility? Is it simply not boasting, not bragging about yourself? Is it saying thank you to people? It goes much deeper than that. Let me, let me kind of define it this way. How to practice humility. One is to speak as little as possible of oneself. It's to mind one's own business. It's to mind one's own business. It's not wanting to manage other people's affairs. It's avoiding curiosity and the need to know. You hear a little glimpse of some mess going on in somebody else's life, like, man, I'm just, just like drawn to it like a magnet. Someone once said that, I just have the ministry, you know, I just hear people's problems and they were trying to sanitize listening to gossip. I said, I don't find that ministry in the Bible ever. So we're actually called not to grab the ears of another person's dog. To, we're, we're told not to put wood on the fire. We're, we're told to avoid uh, that curiosity and need to know. I don't mean curiosity in a noble sense of a learner's curiosity. I'm talking about a meddler's curiosity. We have to practice humility. It's, it's to accept contradiction and correction cheerfully without going into depression and this deep mood uh, valley. Here's a couple more. How to practice humility, to pass over the mistakes of others. Oh, there's lots of this. Here we go. It's to accept insults and injury. It's to accept being slighted, forgotten, and disliked. That's an act of practicing humility. I'm slighted, I'm disliked, I'm overlooked. How do I respond to that? Do I go scorched earth? Three more and we're done. It's not to seek to be specially loved and admired. I need you to specially love me in a way that others don't. I need to be uniquely admired. It's being falsely blamed for something and it doesn't lead to discouragement. And here's the big one, guys. When humiliated or corrected, do I become needy? Do I lead with neediness in my life? All of these are attributes of the humble life. We'll break them down more in the weeks ahead. Let's all stand together, guys. Jesus, 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 Jesus. This morning, Lord, we delve into our roots and our rings, God, and we commit, God, to the secret place, the deeper place, the unseen place, God, so that we can withstand the winds, God, without toppling, Lord. We may lose some branches, Lord, but we're not gonna lose our existence, Father. Father, let the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, be the rings in our life so that the roots and the rings, God, in tandem, Lord. The nature of God, the character of God. The nature of God, the character of God. As I explore and as I 
Lord, embed and live out, God, those attributes of nature and character, Lord. I become like the mighty oak of righteousness, Jesus. Father, I pray that we would taste it so that we could fight for it. That in front of the crowds, we would fight and stand alone for our faith, for your glory, God. Not people's feelings, but how is the glory of God, the name of Jesus being affected by this movement, this behavior, this philosophy, God, that is countercurrent, Lord, to teaching of Scripture, Lord. Father, teach me how to love people, but to love you more. To love you with all of my being, Jesus. Show me how to live out my salt and citizenship, God, to a broken world around me, Jesus. And Lord, let me begin to walk in personal, the practice of humility, God, in my life. We give you praise and honor today, Jesus. We're going to transition to prayer. If you can just stick for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or the whole hour, maybe you go, I just, on Fridays I get somewhere to go someplace, and you're free to do that. Many of you have obligations. But if you don't, and you can spend a few minutes seeking God today here on Friday's chapel, you're welcome to do that. We love you, man. Keep living and building momentum in your life.